0: Welcome to episode two of Down the Beaten Shaft. I'm your host Colin Lund, and today I have my guest host, uh, a gaming enthusiast as well as my brother-in-law, Chris Bucciare. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks for coming on the uh, the podcast today. It's, it, I've been ever since I really started trying to do uh, podcasting. You were of the top three candidates, if not the number one candidate, that I wanted to have on my show. Um, so thanks for coming on. It means a lot. Happy to be here. So, um, the other night, we went and saw The Joker. We saw it the second night that it was out, and um, we're really going to be talking mostly about that today, um, as well as we're going to do an in-depth Call of Duty uh, beta review, but we're going to start with The Joker, because, you know, it, it was a great fucking movie. I mean, what did you think of it?
1: I mean, everything on that movie was pretty spot on. I don't think that there was any parts that I can really fault for it, up to and including how it played with uh, previous Jokers and the expectations that he had, that the director had, and all the fans had, and then also just uh, the actual delivery of the movie itself was just fantastic.
0: It, it is probably one of the top 10 movies, if not top five movies that I have ever seen in my life. It was perfect in every way. The choreography was perfect. Um, the way that they decided to interpret the Joker in a very dark theme, Fit, fit the movie and the way that the movie came off very well. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he he want when I, when I heard that there was going to be a Joker movie, and I heard that Joaquin Phoenix was going to do it, and it was going to be based on the Joker's backstory. I was very scared about it. You know, it it was again, like I have said multiple times uh, in the past. The Joker's backstory is one of the least important things about the character. That's what makes the Joker the Joker is the absence or the shadiness of not having a backstory or not having a past. Which you know, I I appreciated about the villain. But when I heard that they're again, when I heard that they're making a movie about it. It, it may be very shaky, and then seeing it on the big screen, I thought that we needed that.
1: Yeah, and I completely agree right there. Everyone always seems to like the Joker, because unlike a lot of other villains, there's no superpowers. There's no craziness uh, in terms of like his wealth or anything like that. The only thing he really has going for him is kind of how crazy he is. And I think that that would play into his hand a lot of times, because he didn't have a backstory, that people can kind of piece that together. I always like to call him the people's villain. He's kind of like the opposite of Spider-Man. Everyone loves Spider-Man because he's very much relatable. So in this case, just like the Joker, I think that people found him to be very relatable too. So now when they actually address this in the movie, it's actually really interesting to see uh, how, how relatable he is, but actually how different he is. It's not just a normal person. There's some extenuating circumstances that play into his backstory, and like I said, the depth that they went into this movie was incredible. My only thing that I thought was uh, a little off was that I was surprised it was not a DC movie with how heavy and dark it was, but how well it still played into the DC universe.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, Before we get into this, I am going to issue a spoiler alert warning. We are going to be talking about scenes. We are going to be talking about style. We are going to be talking about the character. Um, So if you have not seen the movie yet, go see it and then come back and listen to the podcast. Or a spoiler alert warning. So the first thing I really want to talk about is his, like the way that Joaquin Phoenix decided to interpret the Joker. Like um, again, most most people w- rather let me say this is that on the uh, on social media you could see that everybody was getting upset with the way that. The Joker was interpreted with um, with uh, the shootings. Even a uh, century, uh, even Century Sixteen decided that they didn't want to air the movie because they thought that it would induce or influence some sort of second mass shooting within their theater because of how joke or how dark the Joker was. Um, now I thought that was perfect because the Joker has always been a dark character. He's always been, you know, a mass, a mass killer, a mass shooter. He's always devised these crazy plans to kill people in like really disgusting, brutal ways. And I've seen him, like, you know, the Dark, Knight, or the Dark Knight Returns series. Again, he, he he's running through a carnival, shooting people. Like he doesn't give a shit. He's just popping it, popping everybody that he sees. You know, and uh, even in the same comic, you know, he. He goes on a talk... Or no, the Batman Beyond comics. He goes on a talk show and gasses the entire room, killing everybody within it. You know, he's always been a mass murderer. He's always been a brutal killer. He's, uh, you know, like I, like I said the other night, he's a terrorist slash extremist with no direction. With no political direction, with no agenda. He just kills to kill. So when that came to screen... You know, everybody was freaking out about it at first, but I thought that that was the best interpretation of the Joker that we could have gotten.
1: Yeah, and I completely agree. And actually, I completely agree with the fear and the stigma that comes around with releasing a movie like this. Obviously, you had a huge superhero movie, and then someone decided to do something. Uh, So, I I mean, I can see the stigma behind it, but, like, if you see the movie and you see how it all plays out, you can see it's actually not anything to do with the killings. You could see that it actually addresses things like mental illness. You could see how it addresses things like how you're raised and some of the trauma that happens and how that influences a person, how isolation and depression can really start to complicate things. And actually, I think it shines a light, you know, that the current generation is trying to address between like suicide and all these shootings. It really shows and gives it a purpose and a reason as to where this actually comes from. But like I said, I'm not knocking in any way, shape or form how the studios and how the uh everyone's been handling it but like Joaquin Phoenix said if you want to see like what it's actually all about go see the movie and it actually addresses that very well yeah
0: I I I have to agree with that it's it makes the Joker seem so relatable. Like, when I was sitting down in the theater, like, there were scenes where I was like, shit, dude, like, had, you know, there was. I have friends that are schizophrenic, or I have friends that have mental issues like anxiety or depression, or just, you know, they couldn't catch a break in their lives. And with Joaquin Phoenix throughout the entire film, you know, he he loses his mother. He uh, his, he loses his job. He does some embarrassing shit when he drops the gun in the hospital, you know. he He does some very... Relatable things, you know, that people do on a daily basis. Again, embarrassing themselves and all that kind of good stuff. Um, it it makes him feel relatable. It makes you feel bad for him. Like you know, you you know the Joker as this crazy killer, and then you see him in this movie, and you're like, wow, that you know that that's a person. Like that's just a regular guy who just again could not catch a break. This with with this interpretation of the Joker, you know, they had his his laugh was even a mental illness. Like you know, he when he was handing the people the card that said like I. I laugh no matter what the circumstances, I don't have to be sad, What I don't remember exactly what the card said, but it was like, you know, I laugh uncontrollably, like, I do it in any circumstance, like, it doesn't matter where, it just happens, and, you know, that that is something that played a key, like, for me, played a key role in just the Joker in general, you know, again, in, even in uh, the Dark Knight's interpretation of the Joker, uh, Christopher Nolan's, rather, you know when batman's beating the crap out of him he's laughing and you're like what the fuck like he's literally he's being punched in the face what a part about that is funny you know and then you see this interpretation and you're like oh he just laughs like you know he laughs even when he's getting kicked the shit out of he laughs when his fucking mom dies he laughs when this happens he laughs when that happens you know like all these like moments that the regular human being wouldn't laugh at he laughs at so it addresses mental illness very well that it's it's normal you know it's it's a very normal thing but pushed too far can make the Joker.
1: And I think that's a really good thing that the director tried to really emphasize was that there are so many dichotomies inside the movie, just between particular scenes at any point in time throughout. But the laughing really starts to play a role into it because even during the most emotional times, he has that laugh. And that laugh really starts to permeate, I think, his personality. And you can see the dichotomy, the struggle inside of him when he's probably not supposed to laugh the most is when he has that disability or that disorder that comes out and he starts to laugh and i believe that you know the movie kind of in its way shows like the five stages of grief with him trying to deal with how his depression and everything is happening and how he's trying to deal with the the bad parts of life it's very relatable to everyone that's watching the movie because they've all had their ups and downs and that's where i think they get roped in where they start to see it all kind of trickle off in the movie really starts to punch through is that this person has had so many bad things happen so many times, but he still laughs. And then I think at the very end, he really starts to accept that his laugh is actually what he wants to enjoy. And that's that acceptance part of like the grief. And you can start to see again, how that ties into all the other DC ones, uh, how he laughs, like you said, when he's getting the crap kicked out of him, uh, when he's like getting The plan goes to crap. During all those bad scenes, he laughs, and I just think that's tied in in this movie and explained very well why that's even present.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Joaquin Phoenix must have done his research really fucking, like, really fucking well because, again, DC and Marvel movies, you know, they're centered around one character or a particular group of characters, Um, so they're able to focus on them, you know, go into their backstory a little bit, and read who this character is, how do they react to this situation, how do they react to this character, whatever, you know. Um, so they build a character that we know and love. But with the Joker, again, this is his backstory. So we didn't know who he was before he was the infamous Joker. So when, when I say he did his research, I mean, he got this character down. Like, I felt like this this movie cannot be outdone. Like, if, if anyone were to try to do a backstory or there were to be another comic or something that were to go further in-depth with the Joker's backstory, they would have a really hard time outdoing this Joker because it's just so well done, you know? When it comes to even his mom, you know, his mom has always been like, whenever the backstory is even referenced in comics or even in Christopher Nolan's interpretation, he always talks about his mom, you know? His mom was a pivotal point apparently to him, but we don't know about it, you know? It's very shady, it's very like in the corner, you know it's there, but it doesn't get, like you don't elude on it very much or they don't elude on it very much. So even seeing how his mother came into play in this movie, um, how his mental illness was not something that bothered him up until, you know, towards the end of the movie when he uh, started, yeah, like you said, he started to accept everything that was going on. He must have done his research really well because the costume design, the laugh, the mental illness, the, uh, the mom part of it, you know, it just, it all played so well together to kind of segue into modern-day Joker comic-wise or even uh, cinema-wise of what we know about the Joker.
1: Yeah, and I think that Joaquin does a really, really good job because there's so much stigma about how the Joker is supposed to be. I mean, Mark Hamill has been the face and voice of Joker for since I was a kid, so for years and years and years. And then Heath Ledger came out and made an incredible Joker, and everyone said like it would never be topped. I have a hard time with that just because everyone does their own interpretation of Joker and it's a hard thing to pin down because like I said that's portraying the general that's the people's villain so it's hard to pin that down when so many people think that there's a certain way that it should be and there's a very good relatable way that um, Heath Ledger did it but like I said but with that laugh with like Mark Hamill's been doing it's hard to mimic that so with Joaquin when he did his own and he took an, He spun that in his own direction, and he went into uncharted territory with this backstory. I mean, so many things could have gone wrong, you know, even when it, like, when the movie ended and it kind of meshed up with how Batman and everything starts. I think that that was very well done, and I definitely nod my head to Joaquin on that one, because even down to how his body looked and all this, it was not a normal person. It was someone that was struggling. It really re-emphasized the mental illness. Uh, and it really just permeated his character throughout, in every aspect. So, like I said, I think that he did a really good job taking this role, making his own, and not living up to the hype of everyone else, but kind of paving his way.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, he um, he he made the Joker his own. You know, like it. One of the things that I can really appreciate about this one is that. He, it was in a 1980s, 18, 1980s, 1990s setting. It felt more 1980s-ish, but, you know, it felt older. It felt like it was his own style. You know, it's not a modern-day Joker where it's him and Batman, you know, or whatever. They, they seen the same age or relative age range. Like, you know, they, this one made him feel separate from everything. It made him, like, focused. You know, it wasn't like, uh, oh, here's Batman and here's a Joker off to the side. Or even, like, with what they did with uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man, or in uh, Spider-Man, where it was like, here's Tony Stark and here's Spider-Man. Like, they exist within the same universe. Like, he did a really good job of isolating the Joker in his own little corner of the world in a different, like, a different time, um, thus, you know, the 1980s. Um, So, when it comes to him developing the character, like, it was... It was just perfect. Like he, he did it so well that I can no longer look at the Joker the same way. Like again, I was very scared about having a backstory, but now I think that this was very well needed. You know, when it can even when it comes down to like um, how he dressed. Like I, I don't really like the, the the lighter pink color of his suit jacket, but like. It, it was different, you know, it, it made the Joker seem different, like he had a style and, you know, he wasn't just same thing, even, even when it comes down to, like, the makeup, you know, the makeup was different, too. Like, it wasn't a plain white face with red lips and, you know, black eye, like, uh, dark circles around the eyes, um, as in, like, the Heath Ledger interpretation or every other interpretation where it's just the white clown face with the red lips and the yellow teeth. You know, he, he, he put his own little twist on it and threw just regular clown makeup on. You know, they, they, he, he isolated him so well that this this felt like the Joker. It didn't feel like he was part of any universe. Like, And, you know, DC and Joaquin Phoenix have both said in the beginning, this is going to be a separate film. DC's going to have no hand in this. You know, DC is not going to have any kind of, like... We're not going to reference DC backstory. We're not going to reference anything that happens in the future or in the past of the Joker. Like, it's just going to be his own isolated movie made by this person. You know, made by Joaquin Phoenix. I thought that they did really well with isolating the fact that this is the Joker. Like, again, he had his own time timeline, all that kind of good shit. He was just separate.
1: Yeah, and to reemphasize what you were saying earlier, I think that my favorite part about the entire film was that you truly felt that the Joker was actually a normal person having a hard time. Like you said, his outfit. I was not a big fan of the outfit or really of the makeup until I really understand why. His backstory in the movie was that he actually was a clown. So when he does his makeup as a Joker, he looks like that's all he knows how to do. He does it exactly like when he was a clown and a little bit darker. But I mean, that's exactly the reference point there. His clothes looks exactly like what I would imagine. I live at my mom's house. I'm gonna put on my best, sun, like my Sunday best, and it's gonna look kind of goofy and out of place if I wear it around, like to a, a, a you know a talk show or something like that. But I mean that 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 plays right into the hand of it's a poor man's outfit with a poor man's makeup, and he puts his own little dark twist on it, and it, it just it really sung through for me on that one. And like you said, without having the uh, DC's hand in anything like that. Uh, I, I think that they did a really a fantastic job of introducing a different light on Thomas Wayne on Bruce Wayne and kind of showing that they weren't it's not it's not so black and white everyone loves the Dark Knight everyone loves to, to love Batman and everything that he stands for and this undeniable unbreakable code but when you see his dad and how how his dad was and how his dad treated the ordinary man and how his dad was looked at by some people as this, transcendent being that's going to fix everything and how half the population actually resented and hated him and how he interacted with the general population actually was not uh in a good manner either he was you know not a great person uh, and i was really happy to see that they shown a little bit of light on uh the Wayne's and a yeah. little bit a little bit of light and show that they're not just these perfect people you know that you can feel sympathy and empathy towards the. Uh, Uh, the Joker and his backstory and you can actually feel a little bit of resentment towards the Waynes and their backstory too
0: yeah and and that's another thing about how even how it relates to people outside of it is like just like you said um, I, I couldn't have said it any better with how it shows like the Joker again he's like a poor man you know he uh he, he, he accidentally kills three people, well, not accidentally, he actually goes on his way to do it, but he kills these three people in the subway and starts these riots towards Thomas Wayne, you know, I don't want him to be mayor, and all these people start, like, going around and doing these crazy gatherings about, like, oh, you know, fuck Thomas Wayne and all this kind of good shit, um... And then, you know, again, you've seen you've, – we've already all seen the Christopher Nolan interpretations and even the, uh, the Zack Snyder interpretations where you see the nicer parts of it. You see, like you said, with Bruce Wayne and um, with Thomas Wayne being on the top, the top end of it and, oh, here's, here's how Gotham looks from above. And here's how, all this, here's how the Waynes look from above and all these businessmen and these, these high places of power. And then the Joker is like, here's where we are underneath it. You know, we're like, we're still living in poverty. And here's, here's the Joker, like a regular guy. You know, here's, here's Arthur Fleck. Here's a regular guy that's living in a regular apartment. He's barely getting by, and how? Here's all these other people around him who are living in the same situation. They're going to go against Thomas Wayne, just like today. You know, like it, it's it's very interesting that he decided to put all these these small things that really play well into the Joker, but also relate to everybody on the outside. Which again, like like you had said in the very beginning, it makes the Joker's like. He is a relatable villain, you know, just as Spider-Man is a relatable hero, that's what makes him the best. The Joker is now a relatable villain, which I think is amazing and I think is what we exactly what we needed. Cause again, people were going around and oh we don't like the way that this is interpreted. Well, that's the Joker, you know, that that's the Joker that I've known. That's the Joker that everyone else knows. Uh, diehard die hard fans, he's not a nice guy. You know, he's he's had a shitty past, as he has referenced, never really gone into. He lives a shitty life, but just kind of makes what he like makes what he can of it um, by laughing, by you know, by killing people, whatever you know. Like um, it's it's just the fact of the matter that the Joker has never felt better. You know, it, it just he feels like he can be a part of my world, just as Spider-Man: Homecoming felt like you know that Peter Parker could be a part of my world. He felt he feels like a regular kid going on field trips and all that. Well, Joaquin Phoenix made him feel like, you know, he made the Joker feel like wow, that could be a guy that's my next door neighbor you can be a guy that is living in the middle of downtown Denver, or downtown, you know, Michigan or something, just a regular human being
1: Yeah, and I, I think that another part that really plays into the movie was the, the soundtrack to it, the entire score was spot on not only in terms of placement but how it sounded, it was a little bit weird and a little bit off, but you could definitely tell it had those dark undertones and that really played into it, and I will say that To caveat off of that, to go into one of my favorite scenes, it's probably not even really a popular one that many people notice, but every day after his grind, every day after he'd have to go through all his shit and have to deal with all the bad stuff that happened to him, he always had to climb those stairs. That was like endless flights of stairs. And they Mm -hmm. showed that every time, and it was super dark outside, and it looked like he was just grueling and brutal to do and it's like i saw that and the sad was like dang that's probably gotta be the worst part of his day but then like to caveat off of that when he finally started to accept everything when everything finally started shit hitting the fan he was like fuck it i'm done he finally hit fuck it he was dancing down the stairs mm. and he, and it was like light and bright outside the music was cheery and happy and it was just kind of crazy because it was like even in that regard with something as simple as stairs and you have to climb it every day. I think the general person can can, can relate to the, even that little piece, you know? They live on a shitty part of an apartment, the elevators are broken and they have to climb that every single day. That small little piece right there can be the tipping point for a lot of people with the crap that they have to deal with, especially when you're talking about mental health and mental illness. Um, and then just to kind of see his steady transition into, I don't even care anymore, and then the steps became this easy slide on the way down. I thought that was incredible. Um, and then the other favorite part of the, the the more popular favorite scene that I had was the nod to the Heath Ledger mm-hmm. Joker when he was riding in the back of the police car and that camera shot of just him in that back seat and him looking out of kind of like the mayhem that he's kind of caused or he's about to cause around him mm-hmm. and then how he's just you know seen even then you can see the acceptance and happiness on his face like he just doesn't care I oh. thought that was a really really good nod towards the the previous Joker as well
0: yeah and, and I personally I my favorite scene was the scene right after he kills the the three businessmen on the train. And, you know, he's running and all that good shit. He's looking behind him. And then he goes into the bathroom and just dances. Like, what the fuck kind of reaction is that to killing three fucking people? Like, it, it, it felt, it was like... It was almost disturbing, you know, like, it was like, what the fuck, like, he's dancing, he's got blood on his face, um, he, you know, he's all fucked up, he just shot three people, but he's dancing in this bathroom, and he's looking in the mirror, you know, and that, that was, uh, that was a point that you saw throughout the movie as well, you know, he, when he would, uh, he would come home and he, he would watch the, he would watch that show, uh, the Murray Franklin show, you know, he would, uh, he would dance to it, you know, and he would, uh, even when he was, uh, like, even right before he went out on the Murray Franklin show as well, you know, he would do this little dance. You know, like even though he had practiced what he would say and what he would do on the show, it was, this, it was just like this weird reoccurring thing that he would just dance, you know. And the, the reason that I specifically point out the bathroom scene after he killed the three um, Wayne businessmen was, you know, it, it was like two minutes. It was like a two-minute segment of him just dancing from different, different angles, showing his face, showing his feet, you know, showing the mirror, all these different weird shots. And it, it for me, it felt almost uncomfortable, like, wow, why, why am I watching him dance for two minutes? And then after, like, after the movie had ended, I was like, wow, I needed that, you know. I needed to see that he was dancing because maybe it was, like, a safe place for him, you know, like, through all this shitty shit that he was dealing with in his life, um, again, with his mother and all that crazy stuff, like seeing him dance and just like react to these crappy situations by just exuding this little stupid skit that he does. Like it was perfect. I love the bathroom scene. Cause it was, it wasn't a turning point. It wasn't a, it wasn't a point that you could focus on and be like, that's when he went bad or anything. It was just like this recurring thing that happened when he was, when he was like happy when he wasn't happy uh, when he was accepting stuff when he wasn't accepting stuff no matter what point he was at in the movie he would always dance and it was just like this really weird point that i felt comfortable with after the movie ended because again every dancing scene i was like really i don't need to see this again i've seen this a million times already and it felt uncomfortable and then when the movie ended i look back on it and those were those scenes of comfort where you can kind of like think about where the Joker was at and what he was doing and like where his mental status was, you know, it was just like, again, this little blank area that you can kind of fill in, like fill in with your own, what is he doing? Where is he at? You know, it, it felt like it needed to be there.
1: Right. And I, I think that those dancing scenes after I had looked at them and I saw kind of the timing of them and the circumstances involved, I think that's when he truly felt the most free and like he could be like himself. Mm-hmm. So after that scene, he finally felt like, you know, everyone had been keeping him down, everything, uh, all the bad things that have been happening to him, he's getting the crap kicked out of him. Like, why would he dance then? Because he finally got rid of that. That's like a weight lifted off his shoulders there. Like, you know, fuck those people. I just handled that. And now I get like, I get sense of happiness out of that. And I think that's starting him starting to accept it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The final piece, obviously, of his acceptance is his laugh. But his dance permeates throughout the movie as well. So when he's dancing down the stairs, he's accepting, like, this is going to happen, and I'm happy about this. When he dances after he kills, you know, a couple of other people in some other scenes, he kind of gives a little dance then, too. After he, uh, you know, hangs out with some people that he really is happy about being around, including his mother, he dances then, too. So I think that that's when he really kind of starts to let himself go. But you can see how he dances is uncomfortable because of the mental illness. I mean, it just looks weird, and it kind of just looks, you know... Uh, I mean, I would never, I probably look like that when I dance, but I mean, like he just does a really good job of, of portraying that mental illness and showing that he can be a little bit happier and a little more free when he does those dance scenes. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it, another thing that I can really appreciate, too, is that, uh, you know, he, he keeps his personality kind of like referencing and touching up on what you said earlier with how he starts as, like, this regular street clown that does, like, dances and spins signs and, you know, he does shows in hospitals and dances for kids or whatever, you know. He's, he's a regular clown, like, like, as you would see today. And then as he kind of changes into this darker character, this killer, or whatever, he keeps that clown, you know, he keeps that, he keeps that part of his life. as like, this is who I was beforehand, this is who I am after, but I'm still a clown. You know, and um, they kept that point of like everything's funny, everything's not funny. everything everything in the beginning wasn't funny to him, and then everything at the end was funny. Um, and I like that because you can see that in a lot of other characters too. You can see that in a lot of superheroes. In fact, like with um, like the Punisher, he was he was a Marine Corps. He was in the Marine Corps. You know, he was. He was doing all this crazy battle, you know, he was in warfare, and then when he hit that turning point of his wife dying, he still kept that military training, and he became, like, this military-like character afterwards, you know, because that's kind of all he knows. So you can kind of see that the Joker was this clown beforehand, and now he's this clown afterwards, so it's kind of different, like, one, is, one was in a shitty situation, and now one is who he is, like one clown is who he is today. And it's the same thing with the Punisher. He was a Marine beforehand, his wife died, he had his turning points or whatever, and then he was still a Marine afterwards. It's just the Punisher, you know, and that I like that they kind of did that with him, showing like, this is character development, you know, it's it's not different from comic-wise, developing a hero or a villain, it was the same way that you've seen in every other film, like, this is who they are beforehand, and this is who they are afterwards, they're the same person, just different situations, you know, one's a hero, and one's a regular old Joe.
1: Right, and I think that what makes it so important is the depth to that statement, the depth of He comes from like a clown background, the depth of his mental illness, and yes, we could see the transition to him being the Joker, but the depth of that, the depth being how he's always told he's supposed to spread happiness, and that's his purpose, and that how he is always putting up a face. He's always putting up his face, literally, with a smile, but then he goes and sees his therapist and says, nothing makes me happy. Yeah. That the worst part about mental illness is everyone expects you to behave like you don't have one. So the crazy part to me was always that reemphasizing of he keeps putting on this face, keeps putting on this face, and then finally he just accepts that that is his face. And when he was on that talk show, uh, he even says, "Then comedy is subjective. Mm. Everyone else has this expectation of what comedy is supposed to be, and in the end, he accepts his own form of comedy. And he thinks that killing a couple of rich people because they're being bad at like bad to him and they're being assholes." Uh, that they deserved and He thinks that that's funny in his own form or fashion. That is his subjective input to comedy. So I think that again that that permeation, that that depth of his character, and how you can see it was always there, but how it manifested into his entire personality in the end. People really appreciate that transition.
0: Um, so one bad thing though that I thought was that like part of the movie that I felt like didn't fit in or that they could have done without. Was definitely the ending scene um, when he was pulled out of the when he was pulled out of the cop car and laid on the front of it and all these people gathered around him um, and he finally wakes up and stands up in front of him and is like gesturing you know he's kind of like oh look at me look what I've done and oh hi like he's getting the attention and he's kind of just spinning around like in marvel of what he did you know and that. To me, you know, that I liked that scene because it was it was different. But at the same time, the Joker has never really been one to do something like that. You know, like, if he started dancing, I'd have been like, that's awesome. Like, that's that's the Joker that we've seen all throughout the movie and something that, I like, I felt the Joker would have done in that situation anyways, in any form that he has ever been interpreted in. Now, my problem with it is, that, again, has this never been who he is? You know, he's never been one to be like, oh, look what I did. You know, he's always been one to just do it and then go. You know, he, he doesn't kill someone and then stand above him like, oh, ha I killed you, you know, like he doesn't revel in it. He always just kills something or kills someone or does something or starts a revolution or starts some kind of riot and then just kind of goes about it. Like he's like, oh, okay, what I did was what I did. You know, he doesn't ever revel in it. So when it comes to that scene, I liked it. It was different. But at the same time, like for me personally, it didn't really sit that well. Other people might have liked it. I mean, again, to, to an extent, I did like it, but... It, just, it didn't sit well. Like, that's never really the Joker. Like, oh, yeah, ha, ha, look at me. Like, look what I've done. Like, you know, let me put my arms out in, like, this kind of gesture that's like, oh, yeah, glorify me. Like, it, it was kind of like, like I just said, it was, it glorified him, and he felt like he was noticed, which, again, is part of the reason why I like it, but it's just not the Joker.
1: Right, and I mean, I could definitely see what you're saying there, but in terms of, like, his backstory and his origin and how imperfect he is and how raw he is in this moment... I can kind of see a place to it especially when it's referenced throughout the rest of the movie in a couple of different scenes when he starts to say like i'm finally being noticed you know i did this did these things and people are starting to see me when he goes on the talk show and he says uh you would walk right by me and not even notice you know because of the status that i have and when he finally does all this stuff and he sees all these people who see him for what he is not like the face that he pulls up but actually who he is mm-hmm. I think that he kind of takes that moment to, to, to bask in it I can't knock it purely because we haven't seen this you know like I said it's uncharted territory we haven't seen this raw formation the raw foundation of the Joker so it's hard to really pin down I think how he would react Mm -hmm. I think from here going out, I would expect him not to kind of, like you said, revel in the moment. Because he's very much like a sponsor. Like, he he lives in the moment, and then it's gone. So, like, he'll do something, and then he might pop off a quick joke about it, and then he's done. Yeah. You know, unless it's like a grand plan where he'll kind of, like, you know, play the villain for a second. He enjoys that part. But I would not expect him to, to bask in the glory that's being rained upon him. But in this particular scene, I think it's more so, like, in reference to the mental illness... I think it more so shows how he was isolated, and now he kind of has his little his family, if you will, yeah, and I think it kind of starts to illustrate the formation of the Joker gang and like how everyone like really elevates him onto this platform of of their deity or this person that they really uh you know respect so I think it was it was interesting to see that part. The part that I have some qualms with is uh. The Thomas Wayne scene where he gets killed along with Martha, um, I felt like that if it's such a ma- like the magnitude of that particular event either needed more time or they could have just omitted it and referenced it purely based of like I said the magnitude of that event. Obviously, it's a huge pinnacle moment for a lot of different spin-offs in the DC universe, and I'm aware that this is not a DC movie, but because they decided to bring it in. I think that they should have either either given it more time, or in my personal opinion, they could have just referenced it and let the Joker be a standalone, just with some characters foreshadowed throughout.
0: Yeah, and you know I I, I completely agree with you. Like like I was saying, the the whole scene is you know they come out of the theater when the riots are going on, and then he's like, oh come on Bruce, and they go down the alleyway, and you see the guy wearing the mask, like the the person who kills. Thomas and Martha, you see him in the mask, he starts going after them. I could have been done at that. Like I would have been like, okay, I know what happens next. He gets shot in the alley, Bruce decides he wants to become Batman, whatever, whatever kind of character transition happens there, that's Batman. That's not the Joker. You know, I I could have done with that. Like if it would have just shown Thomas Wayne going down the alley with the person following. Everybody knows what happens. It's been interpreted. You know many many times with the even over my lifespan you know like with the christopher nolan movies with the ben affleck movies you just you always see that it's always been a pinnacle point in Batman's story it's not a pinnacle point in the joker story it's nice to see that what joker caused with the riots it kind of led to bruce becoming batman it kind of led to thomas wayne and martha wayne dying and i i like that but I didn't like the scene with you know him 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 and Martha being killed. The pearls was cool. I liked that they did that because that's again that's straight out of the comics. The the pearls being broken off of Martha Martha's neck. But again, I, I didn't need to see that again. I didn't need to see that reiteration of it once again. It was nice to see that they recognize that that's part of that universe. That the Joker and Batman have this you know opposite ends but tied together kind of correlation where they like they have this like matching up it's like parallel story almost like this happens here this happens here they're like they both again they they their life is on a parallel timeline so i like to see that i like to see that they kind of tied that in but i I wish that they would have just left it at bruce or thomas bruce and martha walking down the the alleyway with the person following them i'd have been happy because we can kind of complete the story with our heads there
1: right and I completely agree in that regard but I'm going to disagree with you in one part and it's just going to be that I felt like they're on opposite journeys as you can see the Joker's transcendence you can see Bruce's downfall and Mm -hmm. as he starts to spiral into his own form of depression the Joker finally learns to accept his and I think that 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 rings true throughout the entire movie maybe not in regards to just Bruce But the Waynes, i.e. the rich people of the world, and how they are standing at the pinnacle, and they have accepted where they are, and you see, even at the bottom, the Joker, you know, Arthur slowly starts to slip even further down this uh, slippery slope of, you know, more depression and all that. So I think that they are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and like I said, I don't think that that scene... I'm not saying it was unnecessary by any means, because like I said, that really starts to illustrate you know, the downfall of Batman and then the uprising of Joker. However, I will say that they didn't need to go into it as much depth. Like you said, they could have just nodded towards it purely based on the fact of the magnitude of the event. They spent an entire movie on the Joker's background. I'm sure that if they decided to, they could spend an entire movie on Batman's background. And then instead of giving it a two-minute clip, you know, giving it a lot more depth, I feel like that it needed, you know, in in the Batman storyline as well.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I did kind of like how they tied Bruce into it. I, I really, and, and even Thomas Wayne into it, I like how they kind of had those little, it just felt like a little point that they put in, like a little pin where it's like, oh, yep, here's where their, their lives cross, you know, because even in, um, like, in The Killing Joke, it's it was about Batman and the Joker are practically the same people. Like, they both are crazy. They're both fucking whatever. You know, in the Arkham, in the Arkham Asylum games, um, or the Arkham games, uh, at the end, it comes down to being, like, the Joker and the Batman are the same people. Like, they, they both had traumatic experiences. One just came out as a hero. One came out as a villain. But are they the hero and are they the villain? Like, they had this... It's like a, it's like a brotherhood, almost. Like, this, like again, like a parallel timeline where they just... They can't get unstuck from each other. So I like that in this movie, with, our, with Joaquin Phoenix's interpretation of it, they did pinpoint it, you know? Like, here's the Joker when he goes and visits he goes to visit Thomas Wayne and sees Bruce and you know makes him smile. Like just something stupid like that. Like it didn't really make sense. Like I saw it and I was like, okay, that's cool that they kind of cross paths. You know, on, on the on the grand scale of things, like, it makes sense. Like throughout the entire you know yeah throughout the entire feud and every fight that batman and joker have always been through like they've always just had this synergy of one super dark one super light or vice versa you know and so when when, when they kind of bring those two together on screen seeing bruce's little kid and seeing joker becoming the joker like it's cool to see that he had like the joker played a part in and bruce becoming batman like because bruce never knew it again in the comics He's never like, oh, the Joker's the reason why the Batman. Like, But in this interpretation, it doesn't outright say it. It's not like, oh, this is why he's Batman. It's just like, oh, yeah, these little teeny points, you know, like, it, it, the, the kind of small world idea and the small world theory that these little things in one person's life can affect one another person's life, you know, like the way it comes full circle in showing that here's Bruce when he's smaller and younger and here's the Joker when he's becoming the Joker, like... It, it, it sets up that whole timeline without even having to do, like outright say it of the, the Batman and Joker's synergetic ways.
1: Right, and you can kind of see, the again, the uncharted territory for Bruce's background before the shooting. Everyone always expects, well, his parents are in the picture, you know, everything's normal, he's a happy kid. When the Joker shows up at his house, when Arthur shows up at his house, he literally does some things to try to make him laugh and Bruce doesn't even budge. He literally gets to the point where he puts his fingers in his mouth and fakes him and makes him smile. So, I mean, like, even then, it kind of shows the similarities between a very young Bruce, who everyone expects is to be happy, does not look happy. He looks very alone in a very big place, you know, with a butler that seems to be the only person that's around. And even the Joker, like, even Arthur trying to do some magic tricks and like that, not a budge out of Bruce, kind of shows. I'm not saying that a child that doesn't smile has mental illness, but I'm also saying that, you know, fast forward X amount of years, and you can start to see that, like, maybe that there was something else going on. I feel like that that might be a nod towards if they do a Batman or something like that, some of the similarities that, you know, Bruce also had as his upbringing, and how that was similar to Arthur's uh, upbringing as well, with just the sheer unhappiness, and nothing really genuinely seems to generate a smile. And I think that was illustrated during that mansion scene.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing is, like, you know, we, we all know that the next big DC movie is going to be Robert Pattinson as Batman. And um, it, it is going to be, like, DC-owned. It is going to have DC's hand in it. It's a DC film. Um, but I kind of want to see how this movie, how the Joker movie... Is going to have a part in all those if at all you know like with this robert pattinson movie it's going to be purely batman but i want to see if they have those reference points that this joker movie made where here's when he's young and here's when arthur fleck meets him at the front gate of wayne manor you know like just little points like that like again in this movie in the joker they had that point and then they had the point of um the riots caused by joker ended up killing thomas and martha wayne indirectly but still part of Batman's story and I kind of want to see how is this going to be an interpretation of future films is this going to be something that they kind of reference like is this is Joaquin Phoenix's movie going to have any part to play or any reference points in future movies even in DC movies you know this again like we had said earlier DC's hand was not in this movie at all it was purely a standalone film made by people that had no correlation or any kind of um job or knowledge of DC whatever you know they, they weren't it wasn't part of DC so is DC going to react to this poorly or are they just going to kind of whatever like oh that was a good movie but whatever or with the upcoming Robert Pattinson Batman film are they going to kind of see what Joaquin Phoenix did with referencing outside material and are they going to implement it in or are they just kind of kind of leave it alone
1: yeah and it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with that I think we have a classic case of Venom when that movie came out and there was so much pressure for them to start adding Spider-Man into that. But it was a standalone film with no ties to Marvel or Sony or anything like that. So I would be very interested to see how the Joker storyline will play into the DC Universe. And I think that, you know, if we get like a Spider-Man situation after they pulled Spider-Man from the Marvel Universe, there's so much pressure from the media and from the general populace to bring it back. Obviously, we knew it was going to happen and it did happen. But I would be genuinely interested to see what happens with the Joker movie and see if that gets pushed into the DC Universe. And like you said, with some honorable mentions, hopefully with them even bringing it full-blown into the DC Universe. Because to miss such a well-done movie, and for them to miss out on an opportunity to incorporate that as a new startup for a Batman, especially since they have a new Batman that's going to be coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, For them to miss that, I think, would be huge on their part because then they have to spend more time, money, and energy into redeveloping and reintroducing the characters we already know but in a new light. So I think that this would be really really important for them to bring into it. So if the media and uh, general populace would kind of just push this topic and hopefully try to get them to kind of merge, would be awesome. But I'm not holding my breath
0: I agree. I, I would really like to see this interpretation coming to further play in the future films and future cinemat or like cinematics of Batman or even just the DC overall. I thought it was perfect. You know, it, Joaquin Phoenix, you did something fucking amazing. You made a really great film. Like I, I appreciate you know the weight you lost. I appreciate like how um, how in depth you went with this character, how you wanted to portray him. Um, It was perfect for the Joker. It was perfect in every single way. I walked out of that movie happy. Like, I I was really happy with the way that it it all played out. It was, even as a standalone film, even if there was no DC and there was no Joker, like, seeing this as a movie that we know about, or that, seeing this as a movie of a character that we already know about, it was, again, shaky in the beginning. I was scared walking in. I walked out very happy. I love the film overall. I loved Joaquin Phoenix's dedication to playing the role. Um, I loved his in-depth feel of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, just as Heath Ledger was the Joker, you know? I love that he he played the character so well that I can't separate the two anymore. Um, so like, like, like we had just said, I would really like to see it become part of future films. Shout out to Joaquin Phoenix and shout out to anybody who was part of that Joker movie because it was perfect.
1: Yeah, and I definitely would like to thank the directors and everyone else that produced the movie and all the actors and everything for actually pushing the movie out despite the negative feedback from the media uh, trying to shut it down, obviously because of the stigma. But I think that they're addressing the mental health and I appreciate that they realized that that was a priority more so than the general populace kind of being uncertain about what may or may not happen. I appreciate them uh, for highlighting that and thinking it was big enough to still put it out on time on schedule.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't really have much more to say about it. I think that it, for me, it was a nine out of ten movie. It there was parts that I had like problems with, um, which you know, the, which is personally why I say it's a nine out of ten. If I didn't have those problems with it, it would be a ten out of ten movie. It was perfect in every way. Again, one of the top. Ten films, if not top five films, I have ever seen in my life. Um, what, what what kind of rating would you give it?
1: I'm gonna give it a max star. Whatever scale you want to put it on, I'm gonna max it out. And the only reason why is because so many days or so many different uh, movies you see these days, it's hard to always give them full marks because there's always gonna be problems that you have with any of them. I don't think I've ever seen a movie get max marks on every category. I think this is about as close as you can possibly get. Again, between the dedication of the actors and the interpretation and the reintroduction of an entirely new background, I think that this was as close to perfect as you can get. Obviously, human error and everything is going to come into it. Obviously, people's perspectives are going to be different, and you're going to disagree with some stuff. But like I said, max marks for me on this one in all categories.
0: Yeah, I can appreciate that as a a, a long-time DC fan. I can appreciate that max rating. It feels really good to be able to agree on the fact that this was a fucking great movie. But now we're going to kind of segue into uh, what uh, other recent events have been going on. Um, like I had mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be talking about the Call of Duty Modern Warfare beta. This fucking game, man, this fucking game is amazing. I loved it. I, I, I can't wait to kind of start discussing it a little bit because it is... I've never felt better when playing a game. you know I, I am constantly playing shooters. I am constantly playing MMORPGs. I know you're constantly playing Monster Hunter and um, even like a uh, vigor, all these, all these different games. We, we, we both come from a gaming enthusiast background. Um, just kind of playing every game that we want to see or playing every game that we want to play, um, playing all different types of genres. Um, and you know shooters are very basic. Um, you know that's, that's what a lot of people have been releasing lately like with uh, Battlefield, you know, Cyberpunk's coming out soon, that's going to be a shooter. Um, All these first-person shooters became a very popular genre. Um, Apex Legends, you know, that that, that was huge. We all like to see how shooters have started to slowly evolve, and Call of Duty, I feel like, is a very big pinnacle. I feel like it's going to be a huge point when it comes to future modern or militarized shooters i think that this game was fucking amazing
1: right and uh to start my background with call of duty i will say that i am a diehard call of duty fan however i will give it the credit that it deserves in that regard i think that call of duty set the benchmark for shooters a very long time ago i think that that and halo were the epicenter of every first person shooter and every platform was based off of that I'm sure some people would disagree, but I think that in terms of console, I think that that was the epicenter for first person shooters. That being said, I think that Call of Duty did not evolve much because of that benchmark. I think that they pushed out a game, I thought that it did really well, and since then they have just kind of reintroduced it and revamped it to meet modern day graphics and gameplay and all that, but I think at the core it was still pretty much the same game, and eventually after putting out the same game for 10-15 years, it's hard to, to make any changes to something. Don't fix what's not broken. But then you start getting so much pushback from the community, they want to feel something different. They want to they see something different. Um, I think that, for me, Call of Duty started to die out and kind of get old. So I'm really, really excited to see this new Call of Duty because it plays completely different. The game feels more clunky. The game feels more realistic. And I say clunky is a good term because it, it plays into the realism aspect. It's not so clean. It's not so, you know, precision, you know, like what you would normally expect. It seems much more realistic without touching into the world of Battlefield. So, like I said, or, uh, my biggest, uh, you know, happiness that they have gotten from this game is they're just making... It's completely new. It's completely awesome. And I even in the beta, I was really happy with how everything played out. Yeah,
0: I've been playing Call of Duty since, you know, uh, my first Call of Duty game that I ever bought was Call of Duty 2. Um, And, you know, then after that, it was, you know, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3, Black Ops. You know, I kind of was able to see the evolution, no, rather the lack thereof, um, of the evolution of Call of Duty. Um, And, you know, like you said, it kind of stayed the same game. It was very shaky, you know, like with uh, when they started going into Black Ops Three and Infinite Warfare and Advanced Warfare. When there was no no more boots on the ground, you know, um, it, it started kind of touching into like even like Titanfall, you know, Titanfall where you're you're um, you're running on walls, you know, and you're grappling and you're you're doing all these crazy stunts and all that. That wasn't Call of Duty, you know, and that, that didn't feel like Call of Duty. Thus, why I never played those games. Um, I never played Infinite Warfare. I never played Advanced Warfare, and neither did I play Black Ops Three. Um, Black Ops 4, they, they started introducing more boots on the ground, like no more jetpacks or th- jump packs or whatever you want to call them. No more running on the walls. You know, you can slide and you can run, and that's about it. Um, and then with this game coming out, you know, every, the first couple of days that it was announced, everyone was like, oh, my God, this game looks amazing. It looks fantastic. And, you know, my thought on it was, you know, it it, it just because it has a Modern Warfare title doesn't mean it's going to be good. Because I thought that... All these people around me who are, you know, they're not less experienced in this field, but they don't, you know, they don't go much outside of shooters, so they don't, like, their opinion is very skewed when it comes to gaming overall. I thought that they were just referencing the old Call of Duty Modern Warfare. It's like, you know, oh, Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3. I would agree that those were some of the best games that Call of Duty's ever put out when it comes to shooters. You know, everybody played Modern Warfare 2. Everybody played Modern Warfare 3. You know, it was, it was, those were two great games. So when this game came out and it had their Modern Warfare title, I was like, you know, everyone's just assuming that it's going to be good because it has a Modern Warfare title. After watching the trailer, I was interested. And then once playing the beta... I, it blew my mind. They started, you know, introducing new mechanics, the flow, the dynamic, everything just felt different. It felt like you had said it felt like it wasn't much of a Call of Duty game anymore. It felt it feels different from Call of Duty because you know usually it's just the point, the point and shoot. You're done. Like that's it. The game's over. You won. You got your points for getting six headshots. You know whatever. And now it's like, wow, this is this is warfare. Like it 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 feels just enough Battlefield to be realistic, but it feels just enough Call of Duty to not be Battlefield. It feels like this is their own game, they put their own time into it, they listened to the community about what they wanted, um, and then after that, the product was Modern Warfare.
1: Right, and I think that at the, the, the core of the game still rings true for Call of Duty. The problem people are starting to see is that they're saying it plays a little bit like Battlefield, but that's because in this day and age, People are wanting more realistic shooters. People are wanting something where, you know, it doesn't really reward the person for going solo and they're able to kill an entire team based off of skill. They want something that's gonna be a little bit more realistic. Uh, so I think that in this regard it still stays true to Call of Duty because I think the biggest difference between Battlefield and Call of Duty is Call of Duty rewards the player for being aggressive. It rewards the player for pushing. Uh, whereas Battlefield rewards the player for using uh, strategies and tactics. You can't kill an entire team by yourself if you play Battlefield. Uh, Call of Duty, you definitely can if you play aggressively, but they started to tone that back a little bit, and you could see Battlefield is kind of doing the same, so it's interesting to see the dynamic of those two. But in regards to Call of Duty, uh, I've always given every game their, their dues. I've tried every single one of them, and some I'm not proud to say that I tried, so I feel like I'm able to speculate because I'm not so one-dimensional. I'm not just a Call of Duty fanboy that says, oh, new game, it's going to be awesome. I genuinely try to look at you know, the dynamics of the game, the gameplay, uh, just beyond the updated graphics and new guns that they bring into it. So I'm happy to say that this game has done a really good job with how you're able to spec out your guns, how the guns actually fire, um, some of the mechanics for just how you maneuver around the map some of the mechanics for how you can like peek through doors, some of the mechanics for you know some of the perks that you have and the special abilities. And there's no true part of this game that I feel like is overpowered or you know people are just gonna start using that one thing and pushing and then you know like you see these Call of Duty games that come out um, and it seems like every one of them just has like this one gameplay style and it's just go, go, go. The fastest guy normally does the best. You know, and it seems like they've really toned that back and stuck true to what they're good at, and that is just, you know, what Call of Duty originally started as. So I'm very happy to see that, and I'm happy they're bringing the, the, you know, the modern take on it with some realism, but staying true to their core.
0: Yeah, and I am going to say, Battlefield, dude, the ball is going to be in your court when this game releases. It's going to be very hard for you to compete with this Call of Duty game. You know, I have... I have always been a, um, more of a Battlefield fan than I have a Call of Duty fan. You know, I've played the last however many Battlefields that they had um, with without playing the Call of Duties. You know, Battlefield has always been a very fun, different game, felt realistic, felt again team-based. You had to be smart with how you played. That's why I liked it. It, it had big brain plays, you know. It, you had to think when you were playing. Well, Call of Duty again, it was just point and shoot. But after playing this one, Battlefield is going to have a really hard time competing because, again, now that it's kind of short, starting to push into that realism aspect, like you said, with the peeking, with the mantling, with uh, when it comes to, um, you know, like opening doors slightly so you can kind of peek into a room, um, when it comes to not being able to sprint fully, um, not like, you know, not throwing grenades as far because, like, with the weight of it, um, the different bullet types and how they create... And this, in the new Call of Duty, uh, the Modern Warfare... You know, you're you're shooting through a wall with a 5.56 that goes through metal. And then you're shooting with a 9mm, it doesn't go through that metal. So you have all these different um, aspects and all these different little, little things that add up into being a realistic shooter, just as it did with Rainbow Six. You know, you you peak corners and uh, you can't run as fast if you have more weight on you. And uh, different bullet types have different impacts or different ways of reacting to the environment around you. And Call of Duty has kind of touched up on every single aspect of that while still retaining the Call of Duty title. Um, It's going to be hard for games to compete with this one because it was just so well done. The gameplay is fucking fantastic. The sounds are fantastic. I love the sound of just warfare, you know, like the the explosions, the gunshots, the... When someone dies, they scream, you know, like the, the realism aspect is very overwhelming, and that's what I like about it, because that's what Battlefield did for me in Battlefield 3. When I had first played Battlefield 3, it was overwhelming, like, holy shit, this is, this is what fucking warfare feels like, quote unquote, you know, like, and, and then with this Call of Duty, again, I stepped in, and I was like, whatever, it's, it's a new Call of Duty game, and then after playing a little bit, I was like, holy shit, I'm like, this is what warfare feels like, you know, it, it gave me that same feeling and not a lot of games are giving you that feeling anymore. You know, shooters are very streamlined, and Call of Duty's like we're going to take streamline and we're going to we're going to fucking in the ass. We're going to keep it ours. You know,
1: right? And I think that uh, <laughs> I got to say one of my favorite parts about the new Call of Duty is the ragdoll. That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, in terms of how Battlefield is going to handle this, man, they're having a really hard time right now. Uh, some of their content is still not fully released for Battlefield Five. They are pushing out some new ty- uh some new maps. Some new guns, you know, they're kind of doing their thing. Battlefield 5, I think, is a solid game, but they're starting to fall into the trend that Call of Duty did, which is it becomes very predictable to see how it's going to play. So I'm interested. They have a new expansion that should be coming out here in the next couple of months, and they've already released a statement saying, I believe it's going to be sometime late 2020. They're going to be pushing out a new Battlefield game, so fingers crossed on that one. Hopefully, we'll see Bad Company 3 uh, but I think that the competition should hopefully here soon be null and void. I would love to see Battlefield kind of just take their realism to the next level and not even compete anymore because they are two separate entities that normally because they started at such a similar time frame and I think that because uh, they, the, the platforms they're playing on they were really limited in terms of their realism so they've kind of played the same. So I would love to see them kind of just step away from each other and just stop the competition because they're not the same game. To just touch one more time on Call of Duty. Uh, you know, I have high hopes for it. The beta played really well. Um, and then I really enjoy the changes they've made to it, even in terms of the respawn mechanics, in terms of incorporating the necessity for some team play in there, and then incorporating some of the bigger um, map changes to where it's, you know, more players that are playing and bringing vehicles into it. Like people are saying, it has a battlefield aspect to it, it has a battlefield vibe to it. But like I said, don't let that discourage you if you're a Call of Duty player because it still stays true to Call of Duty.
0: Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, at, really at this point we're just going to have to wait until the game comes out on uh, October 24th. We're going to have to wait and see kind of what, what else it has to offer, because you know, with this one they held it very close, they held it very close, and you only, you only got to use a few weapons, there was only a few maps available, there was only a few game modes, you know, you, you only got to see very little of it, because I feel like they know that we have high expectations, so they're waiting to release the bigger picture later. Um, I can't wait to see what Call of Duty has to offer because it. This game blew my fucking mind, and I. I almost like I almost just choked on my words saying that a Call of Duty game blew my mind because that that has never happened for me. So yeah, I, it's gonna be a big one. This this is gonna be a game that I feel like is gonna be very popular. I feel like everyone is gonna have a play in you know even even when it comes to people who don't play a lot of Call of Duty. I feel like this is gonna be a come-together point, you know, like, oh, hey, let's let's play some Call of Duty on Friday night. You know, I feel like it's going to be a big point that people come to um, within their daily lives. It's just, I don't know, I have very high expectations for it.
1: And I hope that the overall health of the game stays well, um, purely based on the fact that following their last title release and it didn't do so hot, you know, it, it definitely got low markings in terms of, you know, the evolution of the game. So... I hope that the the overall health of the game stays well in terms of the gameplay, in terms of the fairness of all the guns and stuff. Nothing is too overpowered in terms of the servers letting people play because it's going to be very bad for them if it doesn't do so hot. I feel like some people are already kind of shaky about another Call of Duty title. Even following the beta, some people are going to be uncertain. If they have any reason to not play the game, I feel like it's really going to hurt their chances because you have games like Destiny that just put out a new expansion and people are saying it's the best expansion yet. You have Ghost Recon that just came out, so that's going to be another game people are going to be playing. Uh, you see Death Stranding is coming out soon. The Star Wars games are coming out soon. And then uh, you know, beginning of next year, you have a bunch of other games that are going to be coming out they are going to be competing with Call of Duty. So it's going to be really pivotal, I think, for them to make or break some of their followers to either stay with the call of duty series them trying to entice them saying look we'll do something different and it works versus losing a lot of people because they're going to say you know you just put out this new game it's hard to play it's broken i'll just play another game and i feel like that'll be the last straw for some of the players too so fingers crossed that they'll get that right yeah,
0: and you know, like, you bring me up all those new games, too, a point that Call of Duty has made, like, I feel like the biggest point of this game is that they put their name back out there. Over the last couple of years, um, even when I was in school, or being around friends, or even in the workplace, um, discussing all the new titles of games that have come out this year, or the games that we're playing at the current moment, Call of Duty never came up. Whenever people would be like, oh, you know, did you see the new Call of Duty Black Ops 3 trailer? Yeah, I did, but I don't care. You know, like, it was never really something that I really put a lot of time into or a lot of thought into because I just started to lose interest over time, you know, because all these new games are coming out. And now I can finally say that Call of Duty is a title that I am looking forward to. Um, this new one is going to be fucking awesome. You know, it, it it puts this name back out there. So even on the, 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 the long, the, the big idea of things and long-term Call of Duty, I feel like they've put their name back on the map. And, like, when it comes to me... Um I'm really excited to see what they do with it, even with future titles and how this game plays into future titles. Um but with that being said, you know, there have been some fucking crazy games released this year. Um uh, Monster Hunter released their new Iceborne DLC. Um let's see, World War Z was released. Um it was it was alright. Apex Legends definitely, Apex Legends was a big one. Um fuck Fortnite. I'm just gonna say that out loud, fuck Fortnite. Um, You know, we saw the Call of Duty, uh, or not Call of Duty, the uh, Halo Infinite trailer, Cyberpunk. We have all these games coming out soon, but I want to kind of focus on what's been released this year.
1: Right, and I think that a big one, you know, whether you're a fan of it or not, one of the big ones has been Monster Hunter. They just released a new expansion, and that's actually going up for an award right now for the best expansion of 2019. So hopefully they get that because it was a very well-deserved game. Um, Some underrated ones that I feel like, you know, kind of drop the ball, like, we're Battlefield, you know, some of the health issues that they've been having. Um, 2019 has been a pretty steady year for video games, but it looks like, you know, it's going to end with Call of Duty coming out with some stuff. That'll probably be the last punchline for 2019. I'm excited for 2020 and how that's going to really come out. Um, yeah, but I would definitely like to point out one more thing, since you said fuck uh, Fortnite. For all you players out there that really enjoy the Battle... Or the uh, What is that? Black Ops 4 and that whole... Fortnite competition where all the clothes are you know pink and purple and everything's crazy It looks like this Modern Warfare is going to be very true to Modern Warfare You're not going to see crazy shit, you're not going to see people dancing You're going to see actual warfare and I appreciate that
0: Yeah the, the games that have been coming out this year Like there are some that have been ridiculous but there are some that I have found a lot of joy in You know um, even when it comes back to older titles You know I bought Arma 3 recently I started playing that That's an, it's an old, old title actually you know I, people were playing that when I was in middle school um, so, you know, it's so some of the titles that I've been playing, you know, haven't been more this year esque. Um, but, like you said, like with the Monster Hunter um, Iceborne, that was I, at least from what I've seen, is fantastic. I have not actually played it yet. Um, I know that you've been enjoying Vigor. Vigor looks like it's fun, it looks like it's doing really well. Um, what are some other games?
1: Um, Battlefield, or uh, Battlefront rather, Battlefront 2 has gotten a lot of health updates, a lot of overworking and overhaul. It's kind of another one of those underrated titles. People kind of wrote it off since Battlefront One. Um, I think it chocks, you know, checks that box. It's a good Star Wars game. It's not perfect, you know. EA has its hand in it. And they're just gonna throw money at it, um, and that seems to be the theme this year when it comes to EA. Is just keep throwing money at it and hope it plays out. You can see that in Battlefield. You can see that, and you can see that in Anthem. So like, and that game has not been doing so hot. I've also heard that. They're releasing some health updates for that as well and introducing some new uh, new battle scenes and all that new new modes to play but you know not I'm not a fan of just kind of throwing money at something until uh, to keep it in the, the realm of relevancy. Um, if the game's not doing so hot, kind of just take your time and try to rework it. you know kind of like what Rainbow Six did a little bit with their their health update a couple you know seasons ago. So happy to see that and then also shout out to the new rainbow six quarantine that's going to be coming out in 2020 that's going to be insane and you know so some other games that have been coming out this year
0: um we had gears 5 i i, I have always been a huge avid gears fan um i have not played this game <laughs> i have not played the new gears game and the, you know that kind of goes against what i just said but it looks fantastic um another good one was borderlands 3 i have been waiting for borderlands 3 for a such a long time you know i played Borderlands 1 and Borderlands 2 I easily threw 15 1600 hours into the second game I, I, I loved them uh, so yeah the Gears 5 and the Borderlands uh, game both epic games both released within the same um, like same week you know that that's very big um, I, again I have also not played the new Borderlands, which again also goes against what I just said um, about being a huge fan of it um, but I've been busy really lately you know I haven't had a little time to play these games But no, yeah, so we had Gears 5, we had Borderlands, or Borderlands 3, yeah, we had Iceborne, um, we had Apex Legends, we had Anthem.
1: Uh, You know, Battlefield 5 would probably be the only other honorable mention I'd throw up there. You know, 2019's been a solid year for games, but it hasn't been incredible. It seems like it's been a year where they put out some main titles. But what I'm starting to see is some of these smaller games starting to make some headway, and then hopefully they'll transition into bigger games with full-blown titles, full-blown production um, and like you said a couple of times so far Vigor is going to be the one I'm putting my stock into um, it's run by Bohemia Interactive so the same people that make uh, Arma so it's gonna it is incredibly realistic the system in it is similar you know to like people love this new you drop into a an area and then you're able to loot pick up guns and all that jazz and fight so it sticks true to that but there's some definite components in it that are different check it out sometime that's where I'm putting my stock into the next game of 2020 when it gets a full-blown title when it gets full-blown money behind it I think it'll transition into a really good game it's gonna be competition for apex Fortnite, and any other ultra realistic shooter out there
0: yeah and uh, some games that we have looking for that we can look forward to coming out um, we have Ghost Recon Breakpoint coming out this month we also have the Call of Duty game coming out this month I know that next year we have, uh, actually, you you refresh my memory on it, Um, we have Death Stranding, we have Last of Us 2, Um, I'm really hoping that we kind of get to see the beginning of a Division 3 next year, because the Division 2 was released this year, Um, it was good, but you know, I kind of had my qualms with it, Um, I'm not really going to get into that, but no, yeah, we have Last of Us looking forward to, or yeah, Last of Us 2, Um, we have Death Stranding. We have Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Holy shit! Again, if I'm putting my money on game of the year, it's gonna be tw- it's gonna be Cyberpunk. Definitely, um, that game looks fucking amazing. I've been waiting for it for a very long time, just as I did with Anthem. I hope that it doesn't come out to be a disappointment like Anthem was. I can't really think of any, of, of any more games that are
1: coming out oh, next year. They got Marvel's Avengers coming out. Dying Light two is gonna be coming out. Smaller game that I'm actually really pumped for that I saw was uh, Predator: The Hunting Grounds. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I'm just a die-hard fan when it comes to that whole universe, aliens, predators, colonial marines, and all that jazz. So we'll be pumped to see how that plays into it. So they release some, a little bit of gameplay. For all you uh, PC Master Race guys out there, Civilization 6 is going to be coming out soon. That's also hitting consoles. And then I saw that Death Stranding has a release date of November 8th this
0: year. Oh, it does. I believe
1: so. Let me double-check that. But if that's the case, like I said, that might draw some people away from Call of Duty. So if they don't really hit this home... Death Stranding has been at E3 conferences for a very long time now, and it's kind of kept in the dark, and it's got some huge names behind it. So I would really be interested. I'm going to follow that really well to see how that game progresses.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see Death Stranding. That game looks fantastic. But besides that, you know, like I, there's been a lot of good games released this year, and you know, I'm going to go kind of play through them again. Maybe by maybe step into gears five, so I can give an in depth. Uh, uh, review of that, maybe step into Borderlands 3, give a depth or give a review of that, maybe even play some bigger. You know, I'm gonna get some uh, gameplay on that and give a review of that. Maybe we'll even have Chris back on for that one. But yeah, at this point, it's just kind of looking towards the games that we're having come out. I'm super pumped for Cyberpunk, I am super pumped for Last of Us 2, and I am super, super pumped. Oh, yeah, the Marvel Avengers. I'm really excited to see what they do with that. We saw how the Spider-Man game played out. That went really fucking well. Um, I love that game. It felt really well for having Spider-Man as a hero. Um, And now that we can kind of see that Marvel is starting to kind of play with uh, their characters and video games a little bit, now we can kind of see the Avengers overall, maybe even more characters than just the Avengers circle. But besides that, really the next big thing that we're going to be doing on the show is um, talking about games this year you know I, I, I want to do an in-depth review about the games that we've played the games that have come out um, I want that to be a big special um, but besides that you know really the only thing that we're looking up to is or looking forward to rather is uh, it's going to be Ghost Recon Breakpoint and it's going to be Call of Duty those are the next big titles coming up so look forward to those
1: yeah and I would say that uh, if you guys are single player fans you're not that big a fan of multiplayer it looks like November 15th star wars fallen orders coming out so i am definitely going to be pumped for that you know sometimes you get a little overwhelmed with all the multiplayer stuff going on i appreciate a good story with a lot of depth and content so i'm going to be keeping my ear for that one as well um we'll see how everything pans out for the rest of this year but it looks like 2020 is going to be a great year for video games too
0: yeah 20 i thought 2019 was going to be the year for gaming and you know it, it was to an aspect but no i think 2020 is going to be even better at this point, really, it's just going to be like getting those games played and getting more reviews on them, because I have a lot to say about the games that have come out this year before this year ends. It's already October, so we only have three more months until uh, this year is over, and we have everything released, and I have such little time to play all of them, um, but I'm going to try to get it in there. I know Chris is going to try to get in some time on those games, too. Um, but besides that, this comes to the end of the episode... Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. You know, this is this is only my second episode. I hope to kind of be expanding more, getting some more people on my show, um, talking about some of those games that we had mentioned, uh, maybe even seeing some more movies, getting some more reviews on those before the year ends. And thank you very much for having Chris on the show. That, that It meant the world to me. Again, he was my, one of my number one candidates for being on the show, and I finally was able to have him on the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Colin. I hope everything goes well. I'll keep you posting all the video games I hear about. Hopefully we hear something soon about Elder Scrolls 6, but that's going to be the big one. But thanks again. Thanks for having me. Shout out to all you guys for even listening, so I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening. Um, you can definitely go follow my pages on Facebook. You can follow them on Instagram. Um, I'm going to be having Chris on my show a lot more. And yeah, so that, that comes to the conclusion of this episode.